This is the EdTech Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. sitting there with a pen and paper. Virtual reality is an interesting medium where students can access a wide range of content. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the future of e-learning, a market scale ed tech podcast on all things education technology, strategy, and methodology. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Uh, the podcast used to be known as EdTech by Market Scale. Uh, I'm sure you all have noticed that that has transitioned. We're now treating this as uh, a broader podcast with a few different hosts that come on and, and give their own content. So I'm sure you've seen Brian Runo's Online Learning Minute. Uh, Kevin Hogan's Remote Possibilities podcast is going to be on this podcast channel as well. So make sure you're subscribing on Apple podcast and Spotify for all things B2B ed tech and make sure you're going to marketscale.com slash industries for not only previous and upcoming episodes of the podcast but also some other articles and video content from ed tech and other B2B industries. All right, let's jump into the main topic for the episode. So education professionals should be pretty familiar with our main topic for today and just the general practice of instructional intervention, otherwise known as programs or strategies for uh, helping students improve at skills or subjects that they might be struggling in. It's commonplace, it's common practice, and it's definitely been a focus within the push for more one-on-one instruction we've seen over the last several years. The COVID-19 pandemic, though, has put educators in an incredibly difficult position for many reasons. Um, But never before have schools at this scale had to deal with every student most likely falling behind in some core competency. So if school comes back in the fall, or even if it doesn't and it remains remote, uh, teachers and administrators are going to be faced with leading a school-wide intervention, gauging where each student needs to catch up to continue on track and move on to their next year of instruction. So how do you even start planning for, or much less launching, such a large-scale intervention? On today's episode, we're hoping to get a better sense of how to do just that. So I'm pleased to welcome guests from frequent contributor iStation, which is an e-learning company providing programs for blended learning for math, reading, and Spanish. And they're also Dallas, Texas-based, so yeehaw there. I'd like to welcome our guests today, Deanne Jeffrey and Ginger Brawley, both strategic PD specialists with iStation. Deanne, Ginger, welcome. How are y'all doing? Great, great. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm always looking forward to more iStation conversations, and it's been a little bit since our last one, so this is a treat for sure. How have y'all been holding up during the pandemic? Oh, well, doing our best to transition. Our department is kind of become parent development instead of professional development. We've spent a lot of time helping parents learn how to use iStation with their children at home. So that's been a big transition, but an important one. And, and uh, that's something that we are working hard to do is transition into meeting our customers' needs. So ha- helping the parents right now, those are our customers, plus the teachers who are still doing their e-learning from their home. Yeah, for me on my end, it's been a lot of uh, just reworking the schedule and finding, uh, I don't know, I guess more of an ability to 
craft a work-life balance. Like when you're working from home, it can be very difficult to uh, unplug sometimes, but it can also create a real opportunity to, uh, you know, th- there's no more commute, no more uh, super long morning uh, adjustment for having to get up and, and get you know, do, do your hair. <laughs> yes. And then uh, trim your nails and make sure you're looking presentable. Like there's a little more flexibility there. So naturally that kind of allows for, um, kind of allows for a stricter division for when you're done you can just close the laptop and you move from your office to the couch so that's been that's been my reality here I've definitely had one of the the less uh, stressful and anxious experiences during this pandemic so I'm definitely you know blessed and, and grateful for that Deanna and I both work from home when we are not traveling to do professional development. And so since we're not traveling, we have had that transition into a lot of sitting at our desk on the, on the computer. (laughs) Yes. A lot of virtual training instead of person to person training. And that's been a very difficult transition for me because you don't have the feedback from your learners while you're teaching. So we've, I transitioned to do uh, from doing a lot of on-site professional development to virtual professional development through webinars. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure that must be tough not being able to travel and do that kind of professional development. So uh, that is a reality now that a lot of educators are having to deal with. And that kind of ties us neatly into what we're talking about today. So Let's jump in and talk about launching a school-wide intervention. Um, let's start here because I, I want to just get a better picture for intervention strategies, how they work, and what works best. What are some of the most effective ways that you often see educators handle and perform interventions under normal circumstances? So let's say there was no pandemic and this was just a classic school year. What works well, what works best, and what have been y'all's observations? Uh, from, From our experience, and Ginger and I both were principals, and we were both implementing best practices with regard to intervention, and what uh, I feel like was the most effective in improving student achievement was what at the very beginning of the year, We are gathering a lot of data on our uh, new students to determine what their needs are. And so we'll be at the beginning of the year in a normal year, we would be doing universal screening of all of our students in reading and math to determine who's at risk of not being able to master grade level content. And then we would use that screening data along with other data that we collect at the beginning of the year to determine what students need what intervention. And even before we, even before school started in collecting data, the current, you know, using the universal screener, we also had in place a, what I would call a master schedule so that I had times for my teachers to be able to do the interventions built into a schedule so that we knew this time is for first grade, this time is for second grade, and it was built into their schedule, master schedule, so that 
that wasn't an issue and they weren't students were only pulled out at a certain time not to interfere with their core instruction so there's a lot of things that you put in place even before school starts and then you not only use your current year school data but you also use last year's school data which which causes a little bit of a different situation when school starts next year because of COVID-19 but but uh, that's the norm is to use last year's data and the current year's data and then you start making those decision making on using the data what do we need to do do we have all our pyramid of interventions in place so we know who to plug in to which interventions that are necessary the the pullouts the one-on-ones the tutorials the you know what do we need to do based on the data it is a huge undertaking daniel with a lot of help from your uh, school-wide leadership team to pull to pull this yeah. off and so now and that's under that's normal, normal circumstances right. it's mind-boggling under normal circumstances and principals feel like the weight on the the weight of the world is on their shoulders under normal circumstances. And to be in the the uh, shoes of a principal right now in this current situation, I just pray for them and have a yeah. lot of sympathy and empathy for what they must be feeling. Even even the experienced principals have a, a plan. They kind of know what they're going to do. But with COVID-19 starting back next year, I think they have to have plan A, B, C, D, E. They don't even know what's going to happen next year. So it's hard to plan for all the different scenarios that might happen. And, and Daniel, another key, uh, well, food for thought, definitely. I don't know that I'm putting that exactly like I should, but we're going to have to identify in some way what students did and didn't, didn't learn this school year. And so how to do that, how to identify, since our kids didn't get taught, we'll say at least about 25% of the standards from this school year, how do we address that deficit? And I think quick, very quick screening and collecting data right off the bat, something that can be done quickly, because you don't have two or three weeks to test every student one-on-one and get that piece of data. You need to do a universal screening for your whole class quickly. And uh, that's one of the reasons both Dan and I enjoyed using iStation because we could do that. Very, We could get all of our students tested within one week for our entire campus and have that piece of data combined with other pieces of data that we had on the students. And then we could really start making those decisions. Uh, I think the data collection quickly is gonna be real necessary. Yes, for sure. Because you will have students that did master yeah. those standards. We, you're going to, I feel like, have the haves and the have-nots like never before because you do have some kiddos whose parents are very involved in helping them master those standards that weren't taught during the school year. And then there's such a big divide in uh, access, I guess you would say, to the digital divide is out there where not all students have access to online learning. You're going to have those students who have not, been able to master those standards. I've heard, we've always heard the term summer slide for students who kind of regress a little bit. Now, now we're, now the term is COVID slide. It is definitely, yeah. it's, and it, some students, as Dan was saying, some students have 
their parents went on with the digital learning and the lesson plans that the teachers set up in place for them and and the teachers did their zooms zoom calls and everything like that and they even did some one-on-one with students when necessary that they realized it but there's a lot of students that even didn't even have access to a device or internet mm-hmm. so how did they reach them a right and paper you know right so there's a there's a lot of different right um haves and have nots right now right well and and i i would even go as far as to say that the students that did have the focused um e-learning instruction um you know probably didn't retain a lot of that information anyways and i i don't think it's any fault of the educators or the students for lack of trying generally um I would say it falls more under the fact that students and educators were not prepared for that full-scale transition in the first place. And so adapting to what's the best way to learn or what's the best way to teach over these tools, not just how to use the tools, but what's the best way to communicate effectively on them and to engage on them, Mm -hmm. that'll take time to train and to hone. And when you're thrown into it immediately and you have to solve these solutions under the pressure of the clock and uh, the finite semester, that's not really going to happen. So I think everything y'all said is totally correct, and then you add on that layer as well, and you've got a situation where, you know, you've got a semester-long slide, not just a a summer slide. Um, So you were mentioning some core competencies that um, students might be struggling in. Could y'all uh break down where you think students might be struggling the most while attempting to learn at home are there any specific subjects or any specific types of instruction that uh, are more difficult to administer remotely um that you think are are basically starting to kind of pile up and snowball into a, a broader issue well uh, daniel math has been a hot topic with parents during um homeschooling because math is taught in such a different way now than when our parents were in school. Or when I was in school. And so parents, <laughs> or when our grandparents were in school. And so um, that that has been a source of a, a lot of conversation um, on, on the internet. And so I feel like that that definitely will be an area that will need to be addressed when we all get back into into school, because I feel like there will be some pretty significant deficits there for students in really conceptually understanding their math standards because of how um, teachers teach that this day and time compared to what our parents, what parents know how to teach. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's very (laughs) complex. Teachers have had additional training and learning how to teach at that concrete level. And parents haven't had that. So that'll be an area where I feel like there'll be a lot of work needed on the part of the teacher when the kiddos get back. And also, unfortunately, you know, reading and math will be the big focus. The writing, I think, would be the third Mm -hmm. one. And your science and social studies are just like, they're, they're very important. But when you try to balance everything, where do you, what are you going to focus on? So I'm thinking reading math and, and then the writing portion of that, which goes in with your reading also, your e, ELA. Yeah. But uh, I think that's where a lot of our uh, parents are struggling more with the math concepts and teaching that than they would be with the reading. 
although if the, if their students were on grade level and not struggling, then you know the teachers are been making these assignments that pretty much the students can do. What's hurting our students are the ones who were behind, who needed the interventions, mm -hmm. who were only barely making it because they were getting some one-on-one -on -one or small group instruction that that helped them stay up with the class. Now, I don't. You don't know if that's happening or not with the parents, and and are the teachers able to to do the interventions like that through the e-learning setting? That's that's so true, Ginger. Um, our kiddos that that are behind, and when school ended on at the middle of what is it, March the sixth, something yeah, along those there. lines. Um, we're missing uh, two and a half months of instruction, critical instruction time. End of the year instruction is critical for kids. That's when a lot of those more difficult standards are taught in their grade level. And without intervention support systems, those students who were struggling when we uh, ended school, they're only going to be further behind because it's just almost impossible to deliver that level of intervention in the home environment that the students would have received in school. I mean, just a personal little story, a, a, a real quick, I, my, my daughter is a CPA and she's delivering home instruction to her six-year-old. And she called me and said, mom, I don't understand how to do this. I'm not trained in this. And she was just so frustrated. Right with the fact that she didn't feel like that she was doing right by her own child because she didn't have the training to do that. And I think that's a lot of parents' feelings right now. And it's, I've never right. heard so many parents talk about how much they appreciate teachers now. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's like you, you, you don't know until you're having yeah. to be the teacher. It's a lot of funny it's, stories it about that. Funny. Well, well, it's oh. funny, but not. <laughs> right, right. So, so y'all have laid out, you know, some realities of our current schooling situation. Um, you know, obviously teachers and students are having to adapt to remote education. Uh, even if we don't come back in the fall, you know, to brick and mortar schools, there's obviously still going to be instruction of some capacity. So there might be some more long-term strategies for uh, digital engagement, uh, for preparing students teachers and parents on how to use these tools and, and be more uh, digitally literate to support um, these education initiatives. So there's all of that going on, right? Now, where does intervention fit into prepping students to return in the fall, even if it is still remote work? Um, how does that fit into all the broader strategies that educators and administrators are having to deal with today? Uh, break down that relationship? That's the tough one. It, I really think that is the tough one because how how do you remotely get the data you need to determine where you need to start with them? And that I think that's the struggle that a lot of the uh, districts and schools are working on right now is how are they going to do that? How are they going to, how are they going to get, um, the data that they need and 
with parents, you know, if, is it all going to be remote? Then it's going to be on the computers, internet. Well, what are you doing about the ones who don't have that? So there's a lot of pieces that they're having to figure out and put in place just to collect data and based and to make your decisions on who needs what and when they need it and how much they need. So that intervention piece of it that you're referring to, I think that's where uh, principals and, and leadership staff are, are planning right now. They're trying to figure out how are they going to do that. Um, I know some, some discussions that I've heard uh, is that, you know, they're going to take some of the kids in half a day and the other for a classroom. They take, let me just say there's 20 in a classroom. Tw 10 kids are going to come in the morning and be sent home to do blended learning in the you know, at and then the at home instruction from home, practicing, watching the videos, working online, and then in the afternoon you get a new group of ten kids. That's one possibility I've heard. You know, to keep the physical, uh, social distancing, physical distancing apart. I mean, I see that working much better with your middle school, high school kids because they're more mature. They have the some of the abilities to do that. I, it's real hard for me to see some of my kindergartner kids do that and still get them everything they need. Sure. You know, so there's so many little pieces of this that, and that's why I said, I feel like not knowing what's going to happen in the fall. I think uh, leadership teams have to have a lot of different scenarios planned to help them. And, and there is, iStation does offer a solution for that intervention piece with our online curriculum. And we're, we're really glad that we have that available to our kiddos because our online curriculum will put them in their own individualized path of instruction, which we know is very important in order to accelerate their learning. And so our online instruction is one solution. Uh, in the blended learning environment, we also know that it's so important to have face-to-face -face instruction with the students as well. And so that's where the challenge comes in with intervention time. How are we going to build in extra instruction face-to-face -face with our teachers and our students that are in need of intervention? And I know an intervention, that's learning, academic interventions. But we're also, staff's worrying about not just the gauging their, you know, academic interventions, but also they're wanting to know how are the kiddos doing socially and emotionally at this and time. And mentally, yeah, how are they, yes, how are they surviving sure. COVID? Because if they're not emotionally and socially ready to learn things, it doesn't matter what the schools are offering to do and helping them do if they're not in a good place. So yes, academics is huge, but also how are we going to help our kids who've been, you know, them, their families have been turmoil for, you know, six months or whatever. What are we going to do right. for those kids? Because that's part of the school environment is the relationships between the students, each other, and also the the staff and the students. So it's it's real hard to do that remotely is having that relationship over a computer. <laughs> so there's lots of, besides mm -hmm. just academics, there's a lot of things, other things that have to be considered at, for our students as a whole. All right, let's get into then where to even start with launching a school-wide intervention. Um, it's something that sounds incredibly daunting and uh, obviously 
you know, it layers over other educational challenges that ed- educators are dealing with because of this pandemic. I guess when you look at the full gamut of what educators and administrators are having to to uh, prepare for coming into the next school year, um, how does uh, intervention kind of layer over different tools or different strategies that educators are working on going into the fall? So uh, whether that is... Um, you know, working intervention into some of the other literal ed tech tools that are being used, whether that's building it into the curriculum, even if it's just scheduling around the curriculum for intervention, how does it layer with some of the other um, other challenges that educators are, are prepping for going into the fall? I do know there's been a wealth of resources that's been offered through a lot of ed tech companies to help this this national problem with education, I'm going to say problem because it is what it is. Um, I know there's a wealth of, of resources available to uh, our teachers uh, that are, and they're learning what those are. So the intervention piece of it is part, you know, what they need to, I think it still boils down to, we've got to figure out what do they need now, you know, when school officially starts back, whether that's, you know, going to, like you said, the brick and mortar or through the staying at home and being, get receiving your instruction through an internet computer device, whatever. So I think that the uh, knowing where they are, you've got to figure that out first so you know what kind of intervention and who needs interventions. Um, some students may need to have one-on-one uh, with in, when introducing a new skill like in reading or math where some of them you could do a, a zoom zoom with you know 10 kids because they they know it they have the prerequisites or the basics so they can learn the new skill and with some of them you've got to figure out do they have the prerequisites yet so that's I think that is going to be the challenge for our our uh, education system is first, where are our kids? And so I, then you'll know how to do the interventions, but those are little pieces that you're going to have to be thinking about. So where should educators begin then in y'all's experience when looking to craft a school-wide intervention? Um, if there are any main steps that you can outline, I think that'd be incredibly helpful. Uh, we can go from there. So first we have to build our master schedule and we've mentioned that. So we're going to build that master schedule and within that schedule, there are going to be blocks of time that are designated for intervention. And so once we get our schedule built, then we're going to move into identifying which students need the intervention and we use our data to make that decision. And then third, we move into implementation of the intervention. And we feel like this year it's going to be more important. This coming year will be more important than ever that we get those interventions up and running as quickly as possible. And so those interventions might be academic interventions. Those interventions might be social, emotional interventions. Maybe students need more uh, a session with the counselor each week or multiple times a week in order to help them cope with all that they might be dealing with in that little heart and mind of theirs. Um, and so once we get our students identified, we implement the interventions, then we're going to going to monitor uh, 
through the use of data and teacher observations and even behavior data to determine are interventions having a positive impact on student learning or student behavior. And then we look at that data to determine where do we go next with our kiddos? Did we need to, how are they responding? What is their response to our intervention? And if, what, if, what if they're not making positive growth, mm -hmm. you know, then are we changing our interventions? So you have to kind of have that, that piece in, in plan too. And how do you change an intervention? Is it, would it be, a, if we're still not coming to school, would it be appropriate to set a time where the, a, stu, a teacher could meet with one or two students in their home or at the, at the school, like the parent, there's so many different options that's gonna to have to be considered. And you know, above everything at that time, if they're not back in school, what's safe? for them still. Mm -hmm. So all of those little pieces have to be uh, thought about. So it's just a process. Yeah, It's a circular process. So if they're not responding to intervention, then we come back to the drawing board. What is it that we need to do differently for this child in order for them to have academic growth or growth in their uh, social emotional development? And so that, that we really made that sound like a simple process that it is certainly not simple. No, it's not simple. <laughs> but that, that's what we're going to list them. If we're going to list the steps and how to create a school-wide intervention, those would be the four or five steps. Right. But obviously each of those steps take a lot of time oh, and a lot of... Uh, you, you've got that yeah. right. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, <laughs> a lot of planning between professionals um, could you get into what some of those major obstacles are for each of those main steps? So, you know, even though, yes, you did break it down to sound simple and straightforward, once you dig into each one of those, um, you know, I guess major uh, check boxes mm -hmm. for um, planning an intervention, what starts to complicate the situation? And then what is your advice for making it through those uh, those major issues well number one step was scheduling and so yep. as a principal any principal listening to this podcast knows what a nightmare that is to try to build your master yeah. schedule in order to support that intervention program and so that is that's a big stumbling block and that's one of the most stressful times of the year is when principals are creating those master schedules so scheduling and allowing time for interventions is a big stumbling block and you just have to work your way through that and there has to be a little bit of give and take and uh, teachers don't always like to give they don't want anybody yeah. else to have them which is understandable and so scheduling is a, is a big stumbling block and once you get that master schedule like you want it then um, that is a beautiful thing where uh, you have the bulk of the people on your campus happy. And most importantly, you have it serving the, the needs of your kiddos. So master schedule, big, big, big hurdle to, to jump in order to get intervention time in. And, and we always say, we know if we can target the students who truly need the interventions, because that should, really should be just a small group of your students if your core instruction has is effective 
and meeting the needs of most of your students. So, and that's the challenge of coming back to school after COVID-19 is that the last three months of school, they did not get the most effective core instructions that they would have if they'd been in school. So that's a, that's another area for interventions that it's going to mean probably more students are going to need the intervention coming back to school than they did now. And do you have the resources to provide those interventions? You know, not just, you know, yes, your master schedule, once you get that in place, then do you have the resource? You've got more students needing some small group or one-on-one -on -one help. Do you need to change your staffing? some or can you get additional staffing and is that in the budget you know so or are we going to be able to if we're not coming back to school what are we going to do for the students who who do not have a device at home or do not have internet so are we going to get them hotspots and a device so that they can get instructional through the e-learning systems there's you know so there's a lot of different pieces of this that have to be looked at to come up with a solution. And I do think that you have to be very flexible with what you're putting into place because you can think what you're putting into place is going to work. And then when you start doing it, you go, oh, this is not really working for some of our students. And that's why I think you have to be able to make adjustments as needed for your students when you discover those. All right, that basically wraps up everything I wanted to communicate on this podcast and the main insights I wanted to get from y'all. So really last thing now is tying in iStation into all this. Where does iStation fit into uh, the uh, broader strategy of trying to help educators and administrators with uh, large-scale interventions and what some of the work y'all are doing to support educators as they figure out these school-wide interventions? Well, first of all, our assessment, iStations Indicators of Progress, is used as a universal screener at the beginning of the year to identify those students who are at risk of not being able to master grade level content. We use ICEP as a progress monitor throughout the year to determine if our students are growing or not. And then after they do the ICEP, which is our assessment, then we it drops them down in their individual learning path. So it drops them where they need to start learning. And they, the, while they're working on that instructional path, because it's teaching just like the kid, just like a teacher would teach. And, and it evaluates, you know, little, little bitty assessments that it evaluates, you know, how did they learn that? Well, if they didn't learn it, iStations reports tell the teachers they didn't learn it. And so the, now the teacher knows, oh, this these group of students or this one student did not learn summarization or whatever the topic is, that they, whatever the skill is that they didn't show mastery of it. And it in, even in our instruction, it teaches them, it reteaches twice before it even tells the teacher, hey, teacher, they need help with this skill. So it really targets the interventions that they need and the skill that they need. So iStation is a wealth of data when uh, the students are working in it and the teachers are monitoring it and using the uh, program with fidelity and making adjustments as needed. Yes, our um, assessment is formative, and so that helps the teacher make decisions about what to do next with children, and it's going to identify the students 
weak areas, in the er- especially in the area of reading. Reading is a really complex task, and there are areas of reading that we want to be sure students are solid in. And so iStation helps us identify what areas are strengths and weaknesses for them so that teachers can address those weak areas with their students. All right, Ginger Brawley, Deanne Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the podcast. If folks want to find out a little bit more about uh, how to get involved with iStation or if they're looking for y'all's solutions and support during this time, where can they go to get more info? I would start off with going to our website, www.istation.com, and it even has, before they even log in, because they may not even have a login account, there's an orange banner at the bottom, and it talks about COVID-19 page, and it's for parents, educators, and even students. A lot of information right there that they could start with. All right. Thanks again, y'all, for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Again, we've been chatting with Deanne and Ginger. Uh, Deanne Jeffrey and Ginger Brawley are both strategic PD specialists at iStation. Thanks again, y'all, for joining us. I'm looking forward to our next iStation conversation. Thanks, Daniel. Goodbye. Thank you, Daniel. Bye-bye. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, you can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify at The Future of E-Learning. You can also find this podcast, previous and upcoming episodes, on marketscale.com slash industries. And make sure you're subscribing, leaving a rating, and a comment wherever you listen to your podcast content. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.